Sorry to interrupt the fellowship to start with a message. Well, let me take that back. <laughs> Not real sorry, but I love to see people fellowshipping and enjoying each other's company. Uh, that fellowship is something that God tells us he blesses, he endorses. It's a big part about why we don't sit at home every week and watch church on Zoom, right? So I love seeing everybody out here basically coming and working together and fellowshipping. As Seth mentioned, we are continuing on in our Genesis uh, series this morning, and we find ourselves at Genesis 27 this morning. Um, I call this portion of scripture, especially when it's Jacob and Esau, a faithless train wreck. And I'm going to explain that as we go on. Um, but first, how many people have ever heard of the Jerry Springer show? Okay. Now this next one, you don't have to put your hand up. <laughs> How many people have ever watched a Jerry Springer show? See, some people are willing to put it up there, right? And the whole idea behind the show is that it's this gratuitous watching, right, of the problems of like family members and people and relationships that break down. Uh, the late Rush Limbaugh said of the show, that it was an endless parade of human debris. <laughs> it was always one of those. And I would agree with him, right? And uh, so much so that the producers, and it's come out many years later, would do everything they could to sort of stoke the fight, right? They would set the stage. They'd have this guy, Steve, who was a big guy, right, with a bald head. Not that anybody watched this regularly, but a big guy with a bald head, right? He would break it up always seemed like he was just a second or two late from when the fist started flying, right? You got to see that stuff. And there was a, a, a real gratuity to it, right, to sit and watch this. Many times you would look at it and say, oh, just thank you, Lord, that that's not my family, <laughs> right? Or thank you, Lord, that that's not me. Well, we get to this point in Scripture, and you could look at it the exact same way. You could look at it from an entertainment value, but we know that the Holy Spirit does not inspire Scripture for entertainment purposes, right? The Holy Spirit does not write things in Scripture just so we can feel good about ourselves. The Holy Spirit puts things in inspires Scripture for the glory of God. And to the glory of God is that you and I would look into it, learn from it, and be sanctified through it. Amen? So today... As we look in here, that's my prayer for all that comes in. Let's look at this faithless train wreck for what it is. And we're going to pull this thing apart, right, in a couple of different ways and look at it. But let's not go on looking at it and not learning from it. Let's resolve as we leave today to learn from it, make it part of our heart, and to take the lessons away from it. So as we look at it today... There's three ways that we're going to look at it, or three angles, if you will, that I want you to see. The first angle we'll talk about a little bit is what was God's will in this? We have the benefit of hindsight, right? We have the benefit of the New Testament after the Old Testament. We can see the consistency of Scripture. So we're going to take a little bit of a look, looking back. What do we think God's will was early on in this? Next, we're going to look at the sins that were committed by this family in turmoil. And then third, we're going to look at the results of that sin. 
Okay? So turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 27. And I'm going to go and read this for us today. And I'm reading from the ESV, if everyone's wondering, or maybe you're following along in the NIV. The words might be just slightly different. The meaning is exactly the same. Okay? So Genesis 27, verse 1. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the, or before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food such as the father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near. That I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. 
So he brought it near to him, and he ate. And he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Verse 30, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father, Isaac, said to him, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn. Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he was cheated me from these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved the blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, behold, I have made him lord over you. And all his brothers I have given to him for servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, Away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of the heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of this blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away. 
until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? And then in 28, Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Armian, or the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. All right. Bow your heads with me. Pray. Heavenly Father, as we read your word, I think it is natural for us to just grieve and empathize with this family in turmoil. Father, each to their own, they turn not towards you in their tough times, but away from you. Each to their own, sinning in multiple ways, and by each sin they were entrapped, ensnared, and sinned more. Father, all of this just resulted in the destruction of that family, the relationships. We see mother and son pitted against father and firstborn. We see the father pitted against you. We see brothers fighting against each other. We see brothers treating mothers poorly. Father, when we look at all of this, we know that that was not your will. Father, help us to trust in you. Help us to see in these passages what we need to see and hear and increase our faith in you as a result. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I promised we would start off by looking at who gets the blessing. All right? What was God's will in this case? As you saw, it was a full-on train wreck. Right? Could not be worse. And it's interesting, as I read through this, maybe you're the same in that you can instantly bring up times within your own family where maybe things weren't the greatest. Right? Usually when I talk to people, I don't have to go far or dig deep to find stories where families themselves are just at odds with each other. Right? Christmases and Thanksgiving seem to be some of the most stressful times, although they're meant to be the most joyous. Why? Because maybe those people that you've been beefing with now come together and you can't avoid them anymore. <laughs> right? It happens. It happens to all of us. But what's at the root? So as we look in here and we try to find out God's will and who gets the blessing, we have to go back to Genesis 25, verse 23 for context. 
And if you remember, and Seth covered this, right? When they were born, Rebecca felt rumblings in her pregnancy. And so she sought the Lord to understand what's going on. Now, those words of rumblings in the pregnancy means it was probably a very rough pregnancy for her. Right? We, she didn't have the benefit of the medication. She didn't have the benefit of, you know, uh, going and getting a sonogram like we do today to understand and know what was going on. And she rightly sought the Lord. And the Lord told her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. So God made his will pretty clearly known to Rebecca, right? And before you take this as, oh, wow, this is some really bad news, we really need to look at it from the fresh eyes. So forget everything you've read so far and just think about this. God says, not only are you having twins, right, but you are going to have twins who each found two nations. You're going to have two leaders you're going to have two men among men. You're going to have two patriarchs, right? That is a wonderful thought, and it's a wonderful picture of God's intentions to lavish blessings upon Rebecca, right? Before you think or focus just on the fact that Jacob's grasping onto a heel or that there's bad pieces to it, make sure you don't miss, right, those intentions, right? Whoops, let me hit this button. So what other things do we glean from that? The younger will serve the older. Clearly. Right? The second one out is going to inherit the blessing. The second one out is going to be the one to lead. And the older one will be in submission or should be in submission by God's will. Well, let's go on a little bit and look at another instance. Also in Genesis 25, but towards the end, in verse 29, what happens? Well, once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I'm exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Right. And I love it because it sounds like Edom. <laughs> right. So and Esau was Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. And what did Esau say? No way. That birthright is too important. That birthright contains the promises of God. That birthright will be a, a, a look and, and a, basically a testimony that my father puts his trust in me to run the thing. Right? That's what he says right off the bat. No, he doesn't. <laughs> he goes on and he says, I'm about to die of what use is a birthright to me. Really, drama queen? Right? You're out there. You're about to die. Right? Because you're out there. Right? And he says, Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. And he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So a couple of things in here, right, to look at. First, you can easily see how impulsive, right, the drama queen, if you will, right, Esau was. Right, I'm hungry now, 
I don't care about the future, right? Indulge me right now. Okay. Next, as we go and look in, you can see that Esau had little regard for that birthright. Right? When I gave the phony answer, I kind of showed you what you would expect from somebody who revered it. No, he says, right, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Ooh. Right? You ever have those moments yourself, too, where maybe you say something in haste, and then later on those words just come back to bite you? All right, here's a prime example of doing that All right, with Esau. And then the other aspect that we can kind of pull all of this together that I alluded to was that Esau was a very fleshly person. Right? He was a person who was focused on and indulged his flesh. You could say he was a worldly person. Right? Some of us would say he's a real man's man. Right? He was the hunter. Right? But the flesh meant a lot to him. How about another thing to take a look at to determine God's will and who was supposed to get the blessing? In Genesis 26, when Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Oh, now I see what Rebekah was talking about, about, oh, what if my other son goes and does that? Right, I'm going to be in trouble. Well, what's the big deal who he married? Is the Bible speaking out here against, you know, intermarriage? What's the focus? If you're going to be the person that God has anointed to take the blessing of Abraham through to be the man that represents and points people to God, shouldn't you marry believers? Oh, yeah, this one all the way through. So what this really is, is a do not be unequally yoked. That's what's happening here. And what does Esau say? Oh, but I love them so much. No, there's like no regard whatsoever. And not only does he marry one, he marries two. Right? Because later on, as the Bible goes on, there are hundreds of examples. Right? It's one of the most well-known examples that you can think of where non-believers have led believers astray is in Solomon. Right? The wisest man on earth at one point in time led astray by his wives, his non-believing wives. Right? Marriage is that sacrament that God ordained that says these two separate people are joined together and become one flesh. Right? So if you marry yourself to an unbeliever, you are now joined as one flesh with unbelief. Esau rushed into that. So we have those three examples there. One, the Lord made it pretty clear who was getting the birthright. Two, right, Esau himself should have known. He sold it and didn't care about it. And then three, he went on living his life as if he was not getting it. Now let's take a look at that sin a little bit. And we're going to start with Isaac's sin. 
Isaac. What sin did Isaac have? This is a man of faith. Right? There's plenty of examples to look for in the good. What are those examples we're looking for here? In Genesis 27, 1-4, it says, When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim, so that he could not see. Got to pause there and talk about that first. So that you see the magnitude of the problem. So Jacob and Rebekah in this were stealing from the blind, literally. Right? Literally. Couldn't have been much easier right, for them. Anyway, it also says his eyes were dim so that he could see. He called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Right? Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, your bow, go out to the field, hunt game for me, and prepare. And there's a couple things here. First off, he called Esau, and he called him saying, My son. Couldn't Jacob have shown up? My son, just straight out, right? Goes to show you a little bit, right? And previous scripture backs it up. Esau was his dad's favorite, right? To the exclusion even of Jacob, right? But he says, come here. Why don't you do this out in the open? Something else about sin, right? In Isaac's sin, Isaac knew who was supposed to get the blessing. Right? Isaac knew who was the person of promise through there, and yet he wants to give it, purposes to give it, formally rebels to give it against God after his life is coming close to an end to his favorite son. Oh, this is no one-time type, I just slipped into it, right, and was tempted and couldn't, couldn't withstand the temptation. No, this is wanting rebellion and making a plan in order to do that. And he says that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, one of the things that I find humorous in this, I'll just share with you. Right, it says, when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, called, he's obviously afraid that he's going to die at any time. Right? The picture is him in bed. Oh, right. I'm on my death's door. We got to get this done, son, if we're going to do this to go through. As you read on in scripture, he lives for another 20 years. Right? This isn't something that just is happening quick. Okay, because um, Jacob gets sent away, goes 20 years with Laban, comes back, and then they bury their father. Right, to go through. So he lives 20 more years. It's funny, it's, you know, the analogy is he has one foot in the grave and the other foot on a banana peel. Right? Not so. No one knows the end of your days except for the Almighty. So what could he have done here is trust in the Lord, right? Have faith in the Lord, and he would have had a different outcome through all of this. But instead, he didn't. He chose that he would do that. And like most people do that know they're sinning, he does this right out in the open for all to see, right? Oh, no. Do it secret, right? Do it in the darkness. Do it where a lot of not, not a lot of people are going to see. And guess what? I love my son, my favorite son so much, I'm going to implicate him in my rebellion against God. Yeah, well done, Isaac. <laughs> right? That blatant rebellion, that secret plan. Well, let's move on from Isaac a little bit. And look at Rebecca's sin. 
Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious. And goes through that whole thing, shares it with him, right? And says, instead of them doing it, let's beat him to that, right? And that way he'll give you the blessing before he dies. There's the godly woman, right? Keep in mind, what could she have done? When she's overhearing it, couldn't she have walked in and said, Isaac, my husband, what are you doing? Right? She could even wait till afterwards and go to him and say, you can't do that. Be faithful to the Lord. Right? The Lord has put his promise. Don't do this for me. She could have. She was free to do that. What's at the root of her doing this? Why would she do this if she couldn't go into her husband and say those things? Is it that she doesn't trust her husband? Maybe. But the reality is, who told her that her son would be the son, that Jacob would be the son of blessing and promise? God. So she doesn't just distrust her husband here. She doesn't just trust distrust her son Esau that they're going to pull this off. She really distrusts God who is sovereign. That somehow the actions of Isaac and Esau are going to prevent God from doing what he said. See, we can look at that and we can be just like, oh, that's craziness. But when you're in the middle of it, do we look at it that way? No, we don't have that hindsight. We don't think about that. Think of David's sin, right? Seth had mentioned this. What's the first thing when David was actually confronted with his sin and saw it? What's the first thing he says? I have sinned against God. He knows right the origin of every sin is that you're not trusting God. You're trying to orchestrate it yourself, right? So Rebecca, although she seems to believe God's word very easily earlier, she certainly doesn't trust God that he's going to deliver on that. Prime example of faithlessness, right? She's going to force Isaac's hands, or truly God's hands, by now trickery. She's going to do it her way, right? Because she knows better. And her way is just full of sin and deception. Which brings us to a major principle. Brothers and sisters, we got to really understand this. Faithlessness always leads to sinning. The less you believe in the Lord, the less you believe in his goodness, the less you believe that he will keep his promises to you, the more prone to sinning you are, the more sinning you will do. And you can't say, well, I didn't know that promise. Right? That's on us to learn to hide his word in our heart. Right? So that we may not what? May not sin against you. That's why we learn the word. Faithlessness always leads to sinning. So let's go on. All right. What does Jacob say when he's confronted with his mother's plan? Oh, no, mom, don't do this. Right? Don't do this. We got to go talk to dad. Right? We know what God has said. I'll, I'll present to him the fact, look, Esau already sold me his birthright. Right? Um, no, uh, we can't do this. Mom, I'm so concerned that we would sin against God. 
No, what is he concerned at? He's concerned at getting caught. Right? He says right away, well, hmm, this plan. It's almost like he says, well, that's an interesting plan, but like, how do we take care of this hairiness thing? Right? And right away, what's mom say? Right? Mom says to him, you don't worry about that stuff, son. Even if there's a consequence, don't worry about it. I'll take the consequence. Now, there's a lesson here, too. Right? Even if an authority figure tells you to sin, you're not supposed to sin. So that's where that authority works. We know we're supposed to be in submission to authority, and all authority is God-ordained. Right? But where's that line happen? When they tell you specifically to sin. Right? That was that line. But once you cross that line, you hit this slippery slope. And let's watch what happens, right? It just keeps going. So Jacob doesn't object to the sin at all. And it goes on. So then Rebecca took the best garment. Right? So he went out, took them, went, got the goats, brought them to her. They have this costume that they put on him that has the smell of the freshness of the air. It sounds like a Downey commercial, right? Um, <laughs> And the freshness of the air in there, and they put it on him in the skins, and they put it on strategic places, knowing that because Isaac's blind, he's going to touch, right, to, to find him, and that he would probably embrace in this, right? And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So mommy did everything for him, right here. Took Eric, sort of those helicopter parents, right? She's going to come in and do everything for him. Well, that's because Jacob, like, right, as a young man, he really doesn't know what he's doing. Close your eyes a second and, and picture those two interacting. And I guarantee you that most of you, if you're a longtime Christian, go back to those felt boards in school and you start thinking about the little kid and his mother and going to Isaac, right? The boy maybe looks like he's 16 years old. Go in, trace the lineage. Guess what? Isaac's a full-grown man at this time. And look at the influence his mother has. Guess what? Isaac's married. He's been told to leave, cleave, and receive his wife. Doesn't look like that leaving part's kind of going, right? A lot of influence from that mother. Leading him on. And then he doesn't even stand strong in the Lord. He goes right along with it. You've got to assume that he was faithlessness also. Right? He didn't have enough faith to say, I'm going to count on God and we're going to go walk in the right way. Right? He had to doubt that God would carry through, that God would overcome Isaac's plan, that God was already blessing him from the very beginning and it was about to become as he walked faithfully through. Instead, right, what's Rebecca doing her sin? She overcomes Jacob's objection and she uses her skills of homemaking to deceive. What God meant for good, she just takes and thwarts, right? Turns around, which leads to another big principle. And that's the principle that faithlessness leads to viewing others as obstacles. Ooh. All right, let's step back a second and take a look at how each of them treated each other. They weren't brother. They weren't father. They weren't mother, right? They weren't family that I love. They were obstacles for each of them to get what they wanted, and they had to come up with ways to get around them. It happens to us too, right? When we are faithless, 
that's when we start looking at the world as being in our way. Right? We are faithless. We start looking at our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we get jealous of them. As if God's blessings were somehow limited, right? He only has five blessings to hand out today, and I don't want it to go to this one over here. It puts you against other people. It pits you against it. It isolates you into little groups, right? That slippery slope of sin is just carrying you down. And when you're faithless, it leads to viewing others as obstacles. Your family can become enemies, right? Your friends can become rivals. It saps the joy out of your entire life. You can't be happy for anybody anymore because you're looking at yourself just trying to get what you want. Right? And all of it is because you don't trust God to give you what he wants to give you in grace more than you deserve at his time, in his way, right? And for his purposes. You're going to get it yourself. Jacob's sin, right? He went into his father and he said, my father, and check all these lies out, right? This is not just one thing again. He just keeps, keeps them coming, right? Jacob says to the father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. Clear lie, right? I've done as you told me. Sit up and eat. But Isaac says to his son, wait a minute. How is it that you found it so quickly, my son? And he answers, because the Lord your God granted me success. Oh, so it's not enough to have a deception. You're going to bring the Lord into it. Right? This is full on blasphemy. Right? He's saying the Lord is involved in the sin. Right? Just pull them in. Don't people do that? Right? They add that in there. And that blasphemy is really taking the Lord's name in vain. Right? So what does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? We see that from Exodus 21, 7. It says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Oh, Bill, I know what that is. That's when you're like using it with a swear word or a cuss word. Oh, no, it's not. It's a lot more. <laughs> it's a lot more. In vain means don't associate God with something God should not be associated with. Or don't associate God with something that God condemns. Don't associate God as condoning sin in general. And there are many examples that you can look at. Here's a big one, right? The Catholic Church for many years said, we're going to go kill Muslims in the name of the Lord. Really? <laughs> right? Did it say that in the Bible somewhere? Because God is not inconsistent. Right? No, we do that. Right? Do you and I? No, we would never do that. We would never blatantly blasphemy. Right? We would never blatantly assert, assert the Lord with sin and give him the credit. Yeah, I don't worry so much about the blatancy, but what about the subtle ways in which we do that? And what do I mean by that? Ever said or heard someone say, well, I just really feel led to do whatever. Right? Or how about somebody says, hey, I'm really at wit's end. I need you to come over and help me today. Would you be able to come help me, right, to move or something? And you go, man, I got a bad back. I don't feel like going over there and help them. Right? Can't they get a mover? Right? No, you don't say any of those to them. What do you say? 
you know what, let me pray about that. I have some stuff that, that's going on and I'll, I'll pray about that and see. Or maybe you're presented with a chance to give and you know you got the money, but you don't want to give that money. Right? Let me pray about that. I'll see what happens. What are you doing? You're giving yourself some kind of spiritual cred, right, to your scheming. And desiring, and you're taking the name of the Lord in vain. You are, in essence, blaspheming when you know that that's not the case. Right? Or the Spirit's just moving me to do this. Really feel that He's telling me to do this. Be very careful. Right? Feelings shouldn't rule, feelings don't get priority. I feel really strongly that the Spirit's telling me this. Is it consistent with His Word? Can we get somebody to confirm that? Right, and the witness of somebody else. Right, don't rush into that quickly. Those are the subtle ways I think that we all need to be very careful for, because we can all be guilty of blasphemy. Leviticus 19.12 says, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Don't give yourself cred right, by invoking his name into your sin. And then 25 says, therefore, having put away falsehood, this is Ephesians 25, put, put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Right? We're not called to be deceptive. We're not called to try to use influence and spiritual influence. Right? And that faithlessness, when we're faithlessness is when we do that. And Why? Because faithlessness leads to using God as a tool for your own agenda. We take him right off that seat of sovereignty and being the one who gets to decide how things turn out. We have no faith that he's going to make it turn out better than we could, although we have many reasons why we should understand that and that his ways are as far above our ways as the heavens are above the earth. No, instead we flip that mold and we try to make him a tool for our accomplishment. Faithlessness leads to using God as a tool for your own agenda. So Jacob goes on, right? And, and I've got to call this out as we wrap up. But basically, in the middle, he says, are you really my son Esau? And one of his lies, Jacob says, I am. Do you notice something? When he first comes in, he's all bravado. He's got these big statements he's making. And his father goes, well, you don't sound like Esau. So now he starts with really short answers. I am. In Hebrew, it's one word. Yep. Further on, I mean, he's just really trying to work this deception. <laughs> he's going to get rid of it. Some of you are thinking to like your children and coming to you, right? Or, or maybe yourself as well. And it's always like this. It's amazing, right? And that last part, he came near and he kissed him. What an ultimate betrayal, right? Can we think of some other place in Scripture maybe where that betrayal with a kiss exceeds even this one? Judas. Judas. Right? What does that kiss do? That kiss feigns love. It feigns faith in that person. Right? It feigns intimacy with that person and instead turns everything for your own agenda. Right? When Judas did that, it was about his coins. Right? It was about his own agenda. And it was nothing like the kiss symbolizes or was meant to make the other trust in him, feel that intimacy, feel all those false, right, 
conditions of the relationship with one thing, a kiss. So mission accomplished, right? The scheme works. They, you could look at it as a secondary thing. Go ahead and uh, you'll get what you want by scheming. No. <laughs> what happens? There's a lot of consequences that come along with that, right? When you go all the way down from verse 41 to 5th, what happens? Rebecca's got to send now Jacob away because Esau's ready to kill him. You've got irreparable damage done, and one son's about to murder the other. Cain and Abel, all over again. No learning. Right? There's one. You repeat sin. Sin has a, ha a habit of repeating consequences. You think you're going to get away with it? You don't know the best way. Anytime you sin, there's always eight sins behind it. Well, at least that's what my mother used to say when I was growing up. Or it may not have biblical basis, but she used to say that to me. And there's some truth in that, right? There's always a multitude of sins behind that. So what do we learn from all of this? What's your takeaway? Right? I think we need to understand that our struggling, meaning scratching out our own conniving, right? us trying to so hard to orchestrate the universe so that all things come into play so that I can get that promotion that I want at work, or I'm going to make all these things happen, manipulate this, make sure that so that people will think better of me. Or I'm going to do all of this so I get ahead of that person over there. Right. All of the struggling. I don't care if you have a good thing in mind at the end. Right. Does not achieve good things from God. It's never condoned by him. And it doesn't achieve those good things. Proverbs 10, 22 to 23 says the blessing of the Lord makes rich. And he adds no sorrow with it. Amen. When the Lord, right, your father gives it to you, when you trust in him, when we are faithful, when we trust in him to deliver, when we put our lives, its results and everything that happens in his hands, no sorrow comes with it. It's written. It's in his word right here. We can rejoice, right? And then it goes on and it says doing wrong is like a joke to a fool. But wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. That fool is someone who doesn't know God. Right? And if someone doesn't know God, from a worldly perspective, it can really look like you better do something or you're in trouble. Right? It can really look like a white lie is not going to hurt. It can really look like, well, you know what? I'm not asking you to lie. Bend the truth. Maybe don't tell the truth, just omit, right? And just maybe if you'll do some of these actions behind the scenes, right, things will come out because God works through people. God doesn't steer a parked car, right? We can come up with loads of ways to justify it, but it's sin and God has no place being connected to that sin. When we do things his way, we have no sorrow with it. When you trust God, we're free to bless others from grace, expecting nothing from them in return. We're free to suffer joyfully, knowing we honor God, right? And do so only expecting to bring him glory in the way that we suffer. We're free to live life to the fullest in the will that God has for us, knowing that he has plans for us, plans to give us a future and to prosper us, even as our soul prospers. We're free to live apart from the consequences 
and the train wrecks that we would create on our own if left to our own ways. What a blessing. Christ died on the cross for us so that all of those scratching and clawing and things that we do in sin can be forgiven and that we don't have to do it. So if you came in here today, and as I'm talking, right, the Lord's working on your heart, and he goes, well, I got cousin Sally, and I'm not treating her right. right. There's a way at the foot of the cross that you can confess that sin, that you can turn from it, and he is faithful and just, and he'll forgive us. Maybe you've come into your life and you're like, Bill, I wish it was only something, right, with Cousin Sally. Maybe you've come in here and you're feeling condemned, you're feeling shameful over some things that are bothering you and things that you've done. Let me tell you, you're in your father's house. There's no condemnation, there's no shame here, right? Now is the time to go to that cross and say, Father, I don't want to be like this anymore. I don't want to be the person who's orchestrating my life. I don't want to sit on your throne. I want you on the throne. I want what you have for my life. I take all the things that I thought for my life myself, and I just lay them at your feet. Right? Take them. Tell me what it is that you have in mind for me. And you can rest assured, right, that he has wonderful things in mind for you. A future. A hope. Maybe that's what you're doing in here today. Maybe you look at the totality of your life and say, I've been living it for myself and I'm not going to do that anymore. Bow your heads with me, whatever your reason is. And join me, too, as I repent for my own things. Listen to this prayer and let's do this as a church and turn this around. Heavenly Father, I look at my life with sobering eyes. I thank you for your word and that your word makes clear to me my sin like David's sin was made to him. That all of this root is not in all the other things that I normally think of could cause it or reasons or the ways that I justify sin. But really, Father, I am sinning against nobody else but you because I don't trust you with my life. Father, today I want that to change. I want you to come in And not just be resident in my life, but be the president of my life. That you would just just direct everything, Father. That you would take your rightful place and so that I can live for your glory. Father, I know that you sent your son to die in my place. To secure that forgiveness for me that I could not get for myself. And Father, I love you. Thank you. And accept that personally. Help me to turn from my sins daily, to put it as far away from me as you put it. And Father, to live my life in the image of your son, to bring you glory from this day forth. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, Faith Fellowship Church, no final song. I'll just leave you with saying, may the grace and peace of God go with you so that you know as a child of God, Your life is anointed and you can put it in his hands because he is faithful where we are not. Amen. 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 Have a great week.